the GM of the Silver and Black, Mike Mayock, kind enough to join us. Mike, and I know there's no decompression for you coming off the draft. First off, you personally, on the job you and your staff did, you spent a lot of time talking about your scouts and the building being on the same page. What's it like this week? Hey, JT. Yeah, I I think um, in any building, in any NFL building, the key to the whole process is the communication and cooperation between the scouts and the coaches. And when you're in a coach-driven building like we are, and Coach Gruden and his guys are heavily involved, um, it, it's more important than ever. So John and I have to be kind of tied at the hip, and I think we were. And I think our, our scouts and our coaches have engendered in, in more and more respect amongst themselves over the last couple of years. And I was really proud of the way the group worked together. Staying on the draft, I was in the building with Lincoln Kennedy and Eric Allen when the Leatherwood pick was made. Lincoln loved the pick. Of course, he's a right tackle. And then social media blew up about did you go too early or not. And then I told everybody, let's wait to hear from Mike and Tom Cable. If Coach Cable, a former head coach and a great offensive line coach, has him as the best player left on the board, that's good enough for me. But a lot of the national media, and you were a part of it, thought it was just low-hanging fruit that your phone wasn't ringing off the hook for you to trade back. Walk me through those few minutes in the selection. Yeah, we, we were wide open to a potential trade down. And part of my job is to understand league value on every player. So if we got the right opportunity as far as draft pick compensation and didn't have to trade down too far, then we were wide open to moving down. But both those things had to happen. And we didn't get... We had one phone call for a potential move down, uh, did not like the compensation, uh, felt like we'd be at risk of getting Leatherwood. And, and quite frankly, uh, there was no way in the world, he, in our opinion, he was going to be there at 48 in the second round. And, JT, there were five tackles taken between 18 and 48. So yep. if we had tried to wait for him in the second round, he'd have never been there. And that's the guy we wanted all along. It's incredible because when you're on the media side of this and a scout before that and as a player, a lot of fans and a lot of members of the media think the phone's ringing constantly, right, Mike? Like You're sitting there and you're at 17 and at 16, all of a sudden you got 11 calls and, you know, Fudgy back in the day or Mr. Davis, everybody's putting these calls on hold and rerouting them. There are going to be some drafts where the phone isn't ringing and you don't have the access to move back. Look, we, we had a good plan. And people need to understand that certain things have to happen. You have to have a trade partner to make a trade. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to make a trade. Even if a trade, a potential trade's there, you're not going to make it if it's a bad trade. Why would you give up a potential Alex Leatherwood if you have to trade down too far or if the compensation's not good enough? So in this particular case, we made the decision that Alex Leatherwood was the highest-rated player on our board at that time. Tom mm-hmm. Cable loved him. John Gruden loved him. The scouts loved him. Pull the trigger. I could understand with Trayvon in the 40s and him not being there for you at 48, and I love the trade up to go get him because before the draft, I was saying as a talk show host, I wish Mike would go up and get Micah Parsons, but if that wasn't a fit and you had to wait and you got your pick. But I looked at Trayvon and I said, man, I doubt he's going to be there. And the back issue, which you guys cleared up on, when you pounced and moved up to 43, I thought that was a critical moment for this organization, this draft, and this upcoming season. How quickly did that trade-up come together? Well, we had him as the number one free safety on our board, and we also 
per your per your comment, he was a guy we were thinking about trading back up into the first round for potentially, and that was part of a potential plan heading into that first day, coming back up and getting them. Um, so when that didn't happen and he started to slide a tiny bit in the second round, uh, we had to make a decision of the most logical place to go get him. And I wanted to get ahead of the Cowboys. At, I think they were at 44, and mm-hmm. I knew they had a potential free safety move. So uh, we made that deal with, the, with San Francisco. We had talked with them before the day began. We had a conversation about potential uh, moving up into that slot just in case somebody got there. So it was kind of planned a little bit in advance, JT, but uh, the fact that Mary was there at that point, man, we, we were excited. Mike Mayock joins us. So, Mike, I have a couple of listener questions, but I want to go into the offseason. If you would have told me, and I was always saying I was the guy banging the drum for Yannick Ngakwe, I thought he would be a Raider, and I th- I guessed right on that one, and it was a guess. But if you told me, hey, JT, we're going to get Ngakwe and Casey Hayward this offseason, I would have been like, okay, let's look at keeping Littleton, Kwiatkowski, Mad Max, uh, Klee, all these guys, and you're going to add Hayward and Ngakwe. I thought that was a big pivot point for this offseason. Talk about Casey, how you were able to pull that deal off, especially this late after the draft. Yeah, it's always really interesting because there's the, the big flurry early on with all the big names, and Ngakwe was one of those guys. I've liked Ngakwe since he was a junior at the University of Maryland. Uh, he was a third-round pick. People tend to forget that and has become one of the preeminent pass rushers in, in football. But what happens is there's two or three different mini-surges after that. So there's the big flurry early on with all the big money. If you wait a couple weeks, then there's some pretty good football players that come available after a couple of weeks. And then there's always the later cuts that happen and the post-June 1st cuts. So there's several different mini-waves throughout free agency. And we knew we had a little bit of a need at corner, and we especially wanted a veteran corner. And when Casey Hayward became available, uh, we got him on the phone right away. As a matter of fact, Gus Bradley and I called him together. And mm-hmm. because Gus has such a good relationship, as does Coach Milas, uh, the position coach from the Chargers who's now with us, uh, Milo and Gus have a great relationship with him. We got him on the phone. Uh, long story short, it was, it was really just the fit was established. He wanted to come here. It was just about could we scrape a couple dollars together uh, to get him, to get where we needed to get to to get him. And uh, he wanted to wait till after the draft. We agreed with it. Uh, and then as soon as the draft ended, he was the first phone call. Like, Casey, we got to get this put together. Got him in town a couple days ago, and it all came together. And, again, a veteran – the whole key to him, veteran quarter. True pro. Kids in the room are going to look up to him. He works hard at it every single day. So he'll be good for them both on and off the field, and we're excited to have him. Mike Mayock joins us. One of our questions from Fabian Gomez says, what about Ron Milas as you were talking about making him so effective at player development? A lot of premium picks have been spent on the secondary. Let's transition to this coaching staff, especially on the back end with Gus Bradley and how they'll get these players to improve. No doubt. Great question. I mean, let's face it, on the back end, we've put some draft capital out there. You know, Damon Arnett, first-round pick. Um, Trayvon Mullen, second-round pick. John Abram, first-round pick. Uh, Isaiah, fourth-round pick. Amik, fourth-round pick. Uh, so we've got some draft capital on the back end with young guys. 
and they need to grow up. Milo, Ron Milo has a great history, and we believe between he and Gus, we're going to have an opportunity as these kids mature, and let's face it, none of them have played as well as they want to play. And I think there's a common denominator between these kids wanting to get better and the ability to bring in a guy like Milo and Gus to help them get better. So um, in addition to this year's draft pick, we're really hoping for a bounce from last year's guys and, and even John Abram from the year before. Yeah, Mike, and I would agree on that. I think all rational fans get that, that these are grown men. They're in the NFL now. If they were drafted a year or two years ago, that the spotlight's on them when it comes to availability and getting better. So a lot of fans think you're sending a message to Damon Arnett. Mullen seems to be a little bit more mature. John Abram, by bringing in position players who can take their job, let alone some of their minutes. Do they all get this? Do they understand that? What's their feedback been like? Yeah, it's been great. I mean, the reality is two things. Availability is a word you used, and that's huge in this industry. You've got to be available. That's number one. And our, some of our defensive backs have not been available. Number two is I'm a big believer in competition. I don't care what position it is, every position. And the more good players you, you bring in here, the more the competitor is going to come out of them. And these guys all know, you know, they're, they're, they're at risk. You know, we're going to throw the gauntlet down. We've got a bunch of good young guys out there. We're all going to let them compete, and let's see what happens. Wrapping it up with Mike Mayock, John Richardson asks, what's Cleveland Farrell's role here going forward in Mike's mind? Yeah, I, I, you know, we liked where Clee was, especially uh, against the Jets last year. We played him about half inside, half outside. He had a really good game, big sack in that game. Um, and then he got hurt, hurt the shoulder. We lost him for the rest of the season. Uh, his role, I think, will be similar to what you saw with the Jets, which is a combination of what we call our sixth technique, which is a base end. And then when a lot of the pass and sub packages, he can kick inside. And let's face it, if there's one thing we need improvement in, more than anything perhaps, it's an ability to rush the quarterback. And and we've got to find different ways to get there, and it's got to be both inside and outside. Mike, I know you who you can and can't talk about, and players are under contract, so we know that. I think you have the best backup quarterback in all of football with Mariota and the best backup running back in all of football who's going to play a lot in Drake. I mean, that's a luxury to have on an offense as you re, you're rebuilding the offensive line and the receivers have to get better like rugs and we'll see Edwards hopefully get better. But this offense is pretty loaded to me. When you go to bed at night and you think of Coach Cruden and calling plays and maybe being more aggressive and running the ball behind Leatherwood and all the work you did on defense, what can you leave us with on this offense? Taking the next step like they did last year, but even being better going up against Mahomes, Herbert, the Chargers, and what we could eventually see in Denver. Let's wrap it up with the offense. Yeah, we're, we're excited. And we were a top 10 offense in scoring last year, and we're looking to improve upon that. And, you know, a lot of people worry about the offensive line. I think Tom Cable, John Gruden, and I are energized and excited by this offensive line. we got some young guys that are in here every day working their tails off. And I think over time, you're going to see a better run game because you're going to see these guys getting up to the second level. If you get Josh Jacobs to the second level, watch out. I think we're going to be a better run team because of that. And in the pass game, I think you're going to see those wideouts, Edwards and Ruggs, take a step to another level. And once that happens, Derek Carr has gotten a little bit better each year. So, The fact that we've got a guy like John Gruden 
that I think is, number one, tremendous at developing young players, and number two, tremendous as far as game planning is concerned. We're cautiously optimistic that we're going to be a better offensive football team than we were a year ago. Mike, last question with the new COVID protocol and what you're seeing, and I know it's moving, it's very fluid, but the concerns of getting in front of players, practice, tier one, two, and three, media can't interview the players up front. It seems a lot like it's looked like at the end of last year when I was in Allegiant Stadium by myself, especially when you were on the road. Are you optimistic about full capacity at Allegiant and optimistic that Roger Goodell will morph with this COVID protocol and it can get back to normal? Yeah, I would say I'm cautiously optimistic. I, I think um, hopefully in the NFL you're going to see herd immunity. Um, you're mm-hmm. going to see everybody vaccinated, and we're going to have an opportunity to get everybody, 100% of the people in the stands across the entire country. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, we were 6-2 we and two on the road, 2-6 and six at home, JT, and we got to get that friggin' stadium rocket. That, that's a priority this year. Absolutely. Mike, I always appreciate your time. I'll talk to you soon. Hope to see you soon. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, man.